Philemon. Thank you, Juliet. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. Sorry, you're not ready, Helen. I'm ready. I was born ready. It was your face. We are spending a couple of weeks in Philemon, which is very exciting. It's got one chapter, but we're doing... The, we're going to do verses 1 to 16 this week, and then we're going to do 17 to 25 next week. Uh, so for those St. Clement's people who are preparing Bible studies, that means we're actually doing two weeks in one. Sorry about that, um, but I hope it's helpful. Uh, yeah, so Philemon is the shortest... Sorry, Mary, of... you hold the phone, you're saying it. I have to stop you right there. Oh, no! Philemon. Thank you, Juliet. Oh, my goodness. I feel like you don't have authority on an unspoken language. I have never heard anyone call it Philemon. <laughs> okay, I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to call it Philemon. Uh, <laughs> Philemon is the shortest of Paul's letters. It's basically a letter from him to a friend, which is interesting, isn't it? Because most of his other letters are to churches. Can somebody give us a bit of context for like where Paul is when he's writing and who are the people that are mentioned in the letter? Sure. Um, So I think he was probably in prison in Rome when he wrote this around AD 60 or 61. And that would be in a sort of Acts chapter 28. Um, And the people in the letter are Paul and Timothy, we think was with him. So that's why he mentions Timothy, although then he goes on to talk about I. So I think Timothy's alongside him rather than writing with him. Um, Then there is a a big debate, I think, about who is in verse 2. Probably it's Philemon's wife and his son, um, and then the church in their house. Then he's writing to Philemon, who is the leader of a church, probably in Colossae. Do Do we agree with that? And then Onesimus was Philemon's slave and something's happened and then Paul has met him in Rome. Great. And so so Paul is about, when he writes this, he's writing like at the same kind of time when he was writing Ephesians, is it? And like maybe Colossians. Interestingly, I think it's actually Onesimus who's going to deliver this letter to Philemon. Am I right in saying that? Could one of you just give us a bit of a summary of what happens in this letter and kind of maybe break it down a bit for us uh, so that it's helpful as we read it? Yes. So uh, Philemon is a friend of Paul's. I think we learn from the letter, don't we, that he is likely, it's likely that Paul is his spiritual father, that Philemon probably became a Christian because of Paul. We have this uh, sweet introduction. And then um, Paul basically spends three verses bigging up Philemon, but also pointing out that it is all from God. And he gives a lot of thanksgiving and gives prayers uh, for Philemon and talks about how much Philemon has encouraged Paul himself in his walk with Jesus. And then he moves into this um period where there's obviously been a an incident between Onesimus and Philemon we don't know what it is it could be that uh, Onesimus has uh, stolen some money 
Uh, it could just be that he has run away from Philemon because being a slave, it was against the law for him just to leave his work and abandon it. Um, but either way, uh, Onesimus has come to Paul to ask for him, ask for his help. And so Paul starts his plea for um, on Onesimus's behalf, asking Philemon not only to uh, effectively forgive him for whatever it is that's gone on, but also to release him so that he could come back and serve Paul. Um, mm. And as we go, like the, the larger section, 8 to 25, it's just this beautiful picture of the gospel um, working out in the reality of somebody's life um, as Paul sort of pleads on his friend's behalf. I love the story here that we don't see but you can imagine can't you because Onesimus um actually we we read uh elsewhere that Onesimus would have delivered this letter to Philemon and you can just imagine that moment can't you of him knocking on his door um and Philemon opening the door to his this slave who's run away and he was you know well within his rights to be very angry and you know do things according to the law of that day and yet yeah, he gets to read this letter to him. And in those days, they wouldn't have just, you know, quietly read a letter in the corner. He would have gathered people to read this letter. Yeah, you just, you don't see it so much here, but there is like all that drama around it too. So just thinking about slavery, um, especially in the context of this book um, and in those days, I wanted us to just have a little discussion about that. What did you guys, what do you guys make of um, it? Because we don't have Paul here saying very clearly, you know, slavery is wrong. Um, you should set all your slaves free. Why, why do you have slaves? Things like that. So what do you, what is the context of slavery in this book? One thing I read which was really helpful was that slavery in the Roman world is really different to our racially based slavery primarily in America which we often reference in that it wasn't a it was awful in some ways as well but it wasn't racially motivated back here slaves could be prisoners of war from any um, nation um, and it was seen as a almost like a, a misfortune that, that the gods had the gods had ordained for you to be a slave and so that was the way it was viewed rather than a way to suppress a certain race um, so, yeah, that was one of the big differences between slavery in the Roman world to more modern slavery. Um, and it was all to do with employment, wasn't it? During that time, there was about, I think, 30 to 40 percent of the population there were slaves. And um, wow. is, it, is it here in verse 16? He's also called a bond servant. I don't know about your translations, but I think a bond servant was more uh, to be bonded to the master for a specific period of time, either to repay debt or um, as a punishment for a crime done. Something else I read was that often people chose to be slaves. So in some ways, being a slave could lead to a better standard of living than being free. And so at times people chose to opt into slavery. But I think the the dynamic at work was always fear and coercion. So there was almost, if you worked hard enough, your master might be kind to you. And it was a way to um, benefit the economy in some ways. Mm. And still probably in most cases, a pretty difficult and miserable 
position to be in, basically being somebody else's possession, uh, must have been really hard. Um, and knowing that, you know, Onesimus's situation is very dicey, isn't it? He's run away, which basically means that that going back means he could face some kind of violent punishment or even death. So, you know, because it's costly, isn't it? Losing a slave for Philemon is very costly. Slaves would have cost a lot of money. Um, and so him running away was Philemon losing a lot of money that Onesimus couldn't pay back. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting situation, is it? isn't it? And I think if you look at what Paul says about slavery, not just in this letter, but in other letters that he writes as well. So he mentions it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. He talks about it in Colossians at the end of chapter 3. He never advocates for it, but and, and he does actually say, you know, if you can get your freedom, then take it. But he does speak strongly on what the master-slave relationship should be like. And he very mm-hmm. specifically says at the beginning of chapter 4 in Colossians, you know, masters must treat slaves justly and fairly because by rights, most slaves should be emancipated by the time they're 30. That was the general custom. But frequently, masters went back on their word and they could because they owned the slave and they and they often not only owned the slave, they often owed their work owned their work like there's this sort of Mm. fine line between the two and so although Paul doesn't condemn slavery and he is very the one thing that he's very firm on is what the master-slave relationship should be like Mm. yeah that's really helpful and so Onesimus obviously we don't know what he's done we know he's run away some people uh seem to think that maybe he stole something at the same time um but that's not clear um, he's he's run away. He's gone and found Paul in Rome. Again, we don't know how he found him, um, but we know he's become a Christian in Rome. Um, and he's very, very dear to Paul, isn't he? What is Paul's request of Philemon in this letter? And how does he lay a foundation for that request? He doesn't write these days in emails. I mean, I hate typing emails and I would just be like, please take this guy back. He's nice. By. like but he doesn't he he's really carefully makes his case doesn't he he's a little bit more sophisticated than that isn't he mary <laughs> he probably knows how to pronounce philemon as well you know maybe his own name <laughs> um i guess the primary thing he wants philemon to do isn't it is to change um the nature of their relationship and because now they're brothers in christ that should be the defining feature of the way they relate rather than superior and inferior. They're now, their relationship's changed because they're now both in Christ. And so I guess everything he does is pointing towards that heart change between them because the love for them now should be so much deeper and truer because it's a spiritual relationship that they hold. So I guess Mm. one of the ways he does that is by um, really affirming that he sees, Paul sees Onesimus as a son and the level of love and care that Paul feels for Onesimus. I think that's one of his um, strategies to help Philemon view Onesimus differently. Is that kind of verse 10? Yeah, verse 10. Mm. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, Mm. um, Mm. whose father I became in my imprisonment. Um, 
and then he describes him, doesn't he, as his very heart. So, mm. totes emotion is the way he talks about him. Helen, any thoughts? Helen loves it. It's her favourite book. It's her favourite book in the Bible. Her favourite letter <laughs> in the Bible. I said nothing about emotions. I ignored them as normal. <laughs> so yeah, cool. That's helpful. Any other kind of reflections on how Paul kind of lays this foundation? I think it's yeah, it's really interesting that he um, focuses also on the character of Philemon. Um, he knows that he's a man of faith, and I think that gives him the confidence to write like he does because he knows that yeah he's aware of God's forgiveness towards him and so um he it's only out of that that he can forgive Onesimus yeah and I think um Paul's really smart in the way that he writes verses four to seven you know he's effectively saying and even verse three he's saying you are clearly a Christian this works out in every aspect of your life. You know, I hear about, I've heard about your love for all his people. I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, we're in partnership together. You encourage me. You know, you are clearly a Christian. This is clearly working out in your life. Now I'm asking you to make sure that it is effective in all areas of your life, including in forgiveness and embracing this guy who's wronged you. Some people, when they first read this letter, they feel like it's a little bit passive aggressive. So using bits and bobs of like, I'm an old man now, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that's uh, verse nine. He says things like, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, things like that. How did, what did you make of all of that kind of, He's persuading him, isn't he? But how does he walk the line of not becoming manipulative? I I guess I... The prisoner thing I found was really interesting because this is the only time, isn't it, that Paul introduces himself at the beginning of a letter as a prisoner of Christ rather than as an apostle. And so I was pondering on why does he do that? And I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because on one level, he's a Paul's a prisoner of Caesar's, but I, I think that that is in there to say we're all prisoners for Christ, aren't we? Since we, beca- since we came to Christ, Philemon, Onesimus, me, you know, he's, tr- he's really trying to help, I think, Philemon see that it's common ground now between the three of them. And uh, so I didn't see that as manipulative, but as aligning himself to Onesimus by saying, I'm a prisoner too. But he's also saying, and so are you, Philemon, because we're all, since we came to faith, we're all prisoners of Jesus. And so bound to do what he would have us do yeah and I think he's also uh, not with the prisoner of Christ Jesus bit but the question of why he says you know I could do this but actually I want you to do it out of love is you know yes Philemon under Roman law you are within your rights to punish this man kill this man and then be done with it you are within your rights to have this man back and to treat him badly you would be allowed to but because of the law of Christ, you're not supposed to. Within, within Greek, Roman, Roman Greek law, you can do this. But actually, you are a new person. You are no longer this, that person. You are now somebody who is in Christ. And therefore, your response to this person has to be different. I thought that that was much more of the line of thinking, you know, because Paul within his and linking in with the, you know, I have the right 
to command you to do this. But because we are brothers in Christ, I'm appealing to that rather than my actual, like, um, culturally given authority. Yeah, he's modelling, isn't he? I'm giving up my rights here and I'd love you to do the same, basically. Yeah. Do you think there's anything in it for us in the way that we treat people who we are technically superior to? Just, for example, our children or people at work. How how can we learn from the way that Paul goes about using his authority? Parenting-wise, it's a lot easier, isn't it, at times to use fear and coercion mm. than it is to be loving and be grace-filled. And so, yeah, I think that's a massive temptation at times in our parenting to come down hard because we're the figure of authority but that that's not the gospel way is it and I guess it takes you know it takes more effort doesn't it to try and win our children's hearts um but I think that's the the gospel way yeah and I think you know just to go back to this master slave relationship again you know Paul says in this letter actually masters and slaves are spiritually equal they are brothers they are not master slave um, they are spiritually equal, but each person has a particular role to fill out on earth. Um, and so how you fill, fulfill that role matters because of your spiritual equality. Mm. And I think that's the thing that I need to hold on to. Yeah, I guess parenting is the number one. But also I'm thinking about um, my role when I was in Uganda uh, you know, the, the thing you have to really focus on is I am actually, yes, I have earthly authority over you. You know, you're my employee or, you know, whatever, I'm your boss. But actually, spiritually wise, we are the same. We are equally as bad. <laughs> we are equally as awful. And so the way I treat that person is shaped by that. Um. Yeah, I think it's important that we remember that that is in the forefront of our minds when we're dealing with these things. And I think it also applies, doesn't it, just in discipleship relationships in church with new Christians or new people into church. Yeah, there's been some scandal, hasn't there, in England in the church recently about fear and coercion being the reason that people conformed. And I just think this gospel, this letter is such a good example, isn't it, of our hearts need to be changed to love what God loves rather than doing it because of we fear the consequences in our church culture if we don't. And mm. that's just not, that's not the gospel, is it, in any way? And it kind of empowers the other person, doesn't it, to act of their own accord rather than just do something because they're told. And I feel like that's a much better learning, teaching, learning situation, isn't it, when someone feels like they can make the decision themselves rather than just being told what to do. Um, like whether that's, yeah, your children or, or someone at work or, yeah, in a discipleship relationship. So just going a little bit back in the passage, looking at Philemon as a person and who this is that Paul is is addressing, what does his faith look like? What kind of clues do we get about him um, and how is it impacting his life in verse 5, Paul writes about his love and that he has and his faith um, for all brothers and sisters, that his faith is not just his own personal faith, but that he's wanting to share it with others in verse 6. And so 
I think that shows he's not just believed when uh, he came, he met him 10 years ago, but that actually his faith is still alive. And I guess he, Paul really emphasises, doesn't he, in verse 7, the impact that Philemon's faith has on the Christians in his church, in that area, because it says, doesn't he, that he refreshes the hearts of the saints. And so his, the way he lives and the fellowship he shares with the believers around him really encourages and helps and refreshes their hearts. Yeah, it's a real rebuke, isn't it, to that sort of, my faith's private. Um, Philemon doesn't live in that world, but he's living before people and refreshing them because of that. Yeah, it has an, an impact on others, doesn't it? Like it's uh, it's kind of reflective, I think, of the James kind of idea of, you know, faith without works is dead. Faith is so closely linked with with love. And, Sorry, and you can see that in Onesimus as well, um, because he's, he says in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. Kind of a proclamation of Onesimus's changed life as well. You know, previously he was useless, but now he is useful. I was going to say, I really love this verse because I think it just shows um, Paul's sense of humour because Onesimus's name means useless. And I, I thought that, I just loved that. Because everyone always thinks that Paul's super serious, don't they? You, um, and then it, yeah, this made me chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it mean useful? I thought it meant useful. Oh, it means useless. <laughs> wow. We would call their child that name. Hang on. I'm not certain. I thought oh, it was useful, I but um... maybe I've written the wrong word down. No, please don't believe me. Hermione like... is questioning herself. Watch, watch this. Look at the look at the look fear on face, people. I, I I think it was useless as well. Oh, boom! Hermione two point zero backs me up. <laughs> You know, because when um, when Onesimus was a slave for Philemon, yeah, you would oh, think actually... Oh! Juliet, it says useful. Oh, no. She's right. But I read Mary, useless. Just, just let's just savour this moment for Mary. I'm really feeling this moment for Mary. <laughs> Let me just... Ah. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm still amused by the verse, either way. Well done, Paul. Yeah, and I... I just think it's interesting, isn't it, that when Onesimus was a slave, so slaves obviously would have been very useful people to have around, but the play on words, isn't it, is that he actually wasn't useful for the really important thing, which is the kingdom. Um, and now he's super useful to Paul because he's he's loving and serving him and joining in his work. And he can be like real proper useful to Philemon in a way that he wasn't before when he didn't have any faith. So I think that's the kind of, yeah, whether Onesimus means useful useful or useless, it's still the kind of... Useful. Useful. I just checked my notes. I'd written useful, not useless. <laughs> I just checked it. I was all kind of wrong. Few, her notes are right. Few, few, few. <laughs> so I'm right, even when I'm wrong, right? <laughs> Yeah, we get it. We get it. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> um, so did anything else strike you about Paul's request to Philemon, kind of in the light of what we've just talked about? I was really struck by verse 13, where it's almost like he says, Philemon, he has been doing your bidding 
almost without you knowing it. Like he's over here with me and he's been doing what you would have wanted him to do. And so I just think that's another strategy Paul uses to say, even though he ran away from you, because he's now a Christian, he's doing exactly what you would be wanting him to do. And so I just think that's another strategy Paul uses to help Philemon see that Onesimus is changed and now really useful to Paul. I think I just wanted to reiterate how, um, and it's really struck me, how much Paul lays down his rights within the argument, you know, verse 9 onwards. He really lays down his rights within the argument. You know, he's an apostle and he has authority, but he's he's appealing to Philemon's sense of love, which comes through his faith in in God and Jesus. And Paul comes to Philemon in a position of lowliness and he he exercises his strength. You know, we are brothers in Christ. This is what makes us strong. We are brothers in Christ. And um, in the midst of of the weakness of being in prison, um, of being a low person of low status, but and Paul is key, isn't he? In the end, to I mean, we don't know the outcome, but we presume that um, Philemon was on board in the end. But um, you know, key to this reconciliation and <clears throat> excuse me, this uh, as I've said already is one of my favourite letters in the Bible, and but I just think this is such a great picture of what we are called to do on a daily basis but which I massively struggle to do especially I would say in parenting Paul and I were reflecting this morning on our parenting and and one of our children struggles with generosity just really can't lay down her rights can't lay down what she wants and we were questioning actually do we see that in our parenting? You know, we're the parents, therefore we get this and you girls have to go to bed or, you know, just just little things that can build up over time and or how do I behave towards my friends? It's incredible how this this sort of self-righteousness, this self-justification can creep in into all corners of your life. So, yeah, this that that section of um, the letter smacked me over the head once again. Yeah, I think a way that he does that really well, Paul, um, is in verse 15. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. And I, I love that because he's not saying, you know, he was separated from you for a little while is actually he escaped and kicked you in the face. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure that Onesimus wouldn't have been a terrible slave owner. I'm pretty sure from what we're hearing from Paul that he's a pretty good guy. And yet this this slave has, you know, run away from that. Um, understandably, in many ways, obviously, being a slave wasn't easy. And yet Paul calls it being separated from you for a little while so that you can have him back forever. There's like, Paul is really encouraging Philemon to see the bigger picture here, isn't he? That this is Onesimus' journey into faith um, and into meeting Jesus for himself. And then he's going to come back with you and you guys are going to be brothers forever. Like you're going to get to spend eternity together being completely equal in every way. Um, Like he kind of just draws him into this big story kind of behind this little story that's happening. Um, And I, I don't know, I feel like, yeah, we can do that with our kids and with people we're discipling and stuff like that. We can, yeah, there's little things that happen, you know, and we just want to scream at them, just be generous or just be kind, just 
be kind, don't be mean. But then, you know, when you can kind of try and draw them out into the bigger story, story of kindness and or generosity, like, I don't have time to always do that. But it's something I definitely want to get better at as well. That verse as well really reminded me of the Joseph story and sort of Genesis 50, 20. You know, you, yes, you did this, you did a bad thing, Onesimus, you did a bad thing, brothers, but God ordained this for good. Mm. And it's mm. a similar um, strategy, isn't it, that Paul's using here. Look what God's done through this difficult journey and, you know, the, the failure on Onesimus's part. But, yeah, I just felt like it was a real kindness of Paul to try and help Philemon reframe his emotions because that then helps him forgive doesn't it because it reduces the, his anger and it helps him see the, go the good God's done through it and yeah I just think when you're wrestling with forgiveness that's a really helpful thing to do isn't it look for the good God does rather than the things that cause you to feel angry. Yeah I was, I was really struck by also just the parallels here with um, is it Matthew 18 verses 21 onwards about the unforgiving servant and how just the reminder that God has forgiven us so much and yeah I was really struck by how Paul is so so eager that Onesimus and uh, Philemon are reconciled and I feel like Paul would be just as keen for us to be reconciled with brothers and sisters that have wronged us yeah and just how costly that is sometimes and um but we know that uh, christ has paid an even greater cost for us to be reconciled with him mm. yeah because these guys effectively are like they parted as not christian brothers brothers in faith but they are coming together again uh as christian brothers like and that changes everything between them. What does this passage teach us about forgiveness? And, you know, when we disagree with our Christian brothers and sisters um, and there's, you know, stuff going on, what does it teach us about reconciliation and forgiveness and in, in the light of being brothers and sisters in Christ? I think the reason why we're hesitating is we know that this is something that we should do. You know, this is what we are called to do. Like Juliet said, we are reconciled to God through Christ um, and only through Christ. And we are forgiven so much. And, you know, the Lord prayers, the Lord's prayer says, doesn't it? You, you know, um, forgive us as we forgive others. But it's that we forgive others part that is so hard for us to let go of I think it's really hard um and so I think what we need to recognize in this is um actually the thing we need to be praying for in when we're in disagreement with people and reconciliation is required yes we need to be praying for that other person but far greater we need to be praying for our own hearts to be changed because only that way will be able will we be able to truly forgive as God has forgiven us and only then will true reconciliation be able to happen. And um, if we spend all our time praying for the other person and not praying for our hearts, reconciliation will not occur in the way that um, Jesus has modelled it to us. Yeah, it's like um, Juliet mentioned, it is really costly, isn't it, forgiveness? Like we, if you look at Philemon here, 
um, for him literally taking Onesimus back meant losing that money forever. Um, it would have been a lot of money. I don't know how much, but it would have been quite a lot. Um, it probably would have meant losing face in his society, in a society that everyone would have expected him to deal very harshly with an escaped slave, especially as there was always apparently a fear of revolt amongst the slaves in Roman society and people, he would have had pressure from people around him to be like, you need to show him who's boss. Um, You know, if you don't, then other slaves will do the same. And, you know, you can see, can't you, the the pressure on him would have been to, to act in a way to save face, to save money. And yet he pays, he takes that cost on himself, doesn't he? Um, That's what forgiveness is, isn't it? I feel like when you forgive somebody, you take into yourself that cost and that's painful. And, you know, so when Philemon opens the door to Onesimus and lets him, you know, give him the letter and then reads the letter, there's like this moment isn't there where he needs to choose whether he's going to take that on Um, and yeah we don't know the rest of the story but I think it's mentioned in one of the other letters that Onesimus is still working with Paul Um, so I'm guessing that he wasn't made to return to slavery or killed or anything which is which is wonderful isn't it he's really found true free from captivity not just from the captivity of slavery but the captivity of being unforgiven and unreconciled it's beautiful Anything else anyone wants to mention on this passage? I mean, obviously, we're going to do the rest of Philemon. It's been so hard for me to say Philemon every time, by the way. I feel like... Well done. I've been so impressed with you, honestly. Thank you. I feel like it's kind of taking up quite a large portion of my brain. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to look at the rest of Philemon next week. But does anyone else have anything they wanted to add? Anything that was helpful or challenging? No. Cool, cool. Great. So we'll look at verses 17 to 25 next week. Um, Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 I think that's the smoothest ending we've done in a while, Mary. Well done.